Welcome to the Pikes Peak Christian Church Sermon Podcast. He doesn't want to push us from behind. 
He wants to walk with us. There's this idea of companionship, of togetherness, of God bringing us on a journey, almost of holding hands or arm around and arm, going through life together. God desires to have a relationship with you. Many of us have never seen God that way. We see God as a judge or God as an angry father, but, but he's, he's our leader. He's a father that walks beside us. And Jesus looked at him like that way. And Jesus saw his father as someone that he sought to please. In fact, Jesus said that's his goal, to please his heavenly father. And there was one day when Jesus did something so pleasing to his father that God actually shouted from the heavens, about his excitement over what his son had done. And it was the day that Jesus came to see John the Baptist and was baptized. It's talked about in Matthew chapter 3. We'll look at that passage in just a little bit. But baptism for Jesus was really the launch of his ministry. And you usually find in a person's life, when, when you follow Jesus, that either at the beginning or near the beginning of that journey is this thing the Bible calls baptism, which is to be dipped or dunked or immersed in water. And last year in Father's Day, 73 people were baptized. I saw some of them today that I remember from that day. It was just a phenomenal, unforgettable day. And I have to say that of those people that were baptized last year on Father's Day, very few had any idea that was going to happen when they came to church that day. The Holy Spirit has a way of whispering to us. And I believe the Holy Spirit's going to whisper to some of you today that today is your day. That even though you didn't get up this morning saying, I'm going to be baptized today, God is going to convict you in a way to say... I can't put it off any longer. This is the day. Because it's Father's Day. Not just earthly Father's Day. Our Father's Day. And it's a day to give our Father in heaven great joy. And I can't think of anything that brings him greater joy than when, when his children surrender to his plan for their lives. See, when my son came in, he was 16 years of age, came back from CIY, a Christian camp, and sat Julie and I down in the room and told us all about camp. And then he had this big grin on his face. And we've been waiting for this moment for years. So you, when you grow up in a preacher's home, sometimes you need to accept Jesus. Or it kind of invalidates your pastor. So I kept waiting, 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 waiting. Never happened, never happened. And then this day, when he went to camp, came back, and he said, Dad, I have a question. I said, what is it? He said, would you baptize me Sunday? And I said, sure will. And here's a picture. Kind of faded. Back when we wore those angelic robes for baptisms. Uh, now, we just, now we do the t-shirt you get to keep. But it was, a, it was such a powerful day for me. Because as a parent... There's nothing greater when, when you see your children walking in the Lord. And you know that there's going to come a day when you're going to pass from this life and know your kids are secure in their faith. And so today, that's my prayer for you. See, when Jesus came on that day to John the Baptist, something kicked into gear. Because, you know, Jesus was born. There's a lot written about that in the Bible. But for 30 years, we don't know much anything else about Jesus other than one visit as a child to the temple. We don't know much of anything. It's like Jesus had to live... Uh, in, in anticipation of the day when he could really move forward with God's plan in his life. But after this day, when John the Baptist baptized him, it's nonstop action. It's go. It, it, his plan is in high gear. And for many of us, God's plan has just been waiting to burst. It's waiting for us to respond to him so he can kick it into high gear. And I believe today, for some of you, will be your launch day of moving forward in God's plan for your life. So I want to say a prayer. We've had um, staff praying this week. We were kneeling on this floor. We were walking on this stage. We are praying over the baptistry, praying for you, that you would be surrendered to the Lord this day. So that's my prayer right now. Father, that you would use this time, make it holy for you. Father, I pray that our hearts would just be like clay in your hand. And Lord, that uh, we would block up all the voices of the enemy, all the voices of the world, the worries, the busyness, even the voices of lunchtime and all that to hear over these next few minutes what you have to say to us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew chapter 3. 
It says, In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locust and wild honey. People went out from to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. So people are flocking out to see this man who's really like an Old Testament prophet. John the Baptist looks kind of strange the way he's dressed. He's preaching this message of preparing their hearts for the coming Messiah. He's going to come, and he shows up at the edge of the water. In verse 13, then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. And at that moment, heaven was open, and he saw the Spirit of God descending on the dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my Son, whom I love. With him I, I am well pleased. I don't understand fully this concept the Bible has of the Trinity. It's not actually a biblical name, but it's a concept. That God is three persons. The Godhead is the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And all three are, are visible or, or within sight of this passage right here. You have Jesus himself in the flesh coming to John the Baptist to be baptized. You see the Holy Spirit coming, and because the Spirit's invisible, it's like a dove. It's not a dove, but it's like a dove in the way it, it descends upon Jesus. And then this voice from heaven speaks so clearly, this is my beloved Son. You see the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The whole Godhead is behind this movement that Jesus is making. And I believe that God fully supports any step of spiritual progress we make. That you find all the forces of heaven that God throws behind that decision. And so I want to look at these today of how they apply to our lives. Because first of all, there's the example Jesus said as a son. We have his example. Jesus came to John the Baptist. And John the Baptist was preaching the good news. And part of the good news was the bad news of you need to repent. Repent. You need to turn in a new direction. This old direction you're going is wrong. You need to turn to God. You need to make straight paths for Him. Meaning, you need, to, you need to open up your heart so God has clear entry to it. All the bends, all the twists, all the bumps in the road need to be straightened because the Messiah is coming. Now, baptism was actually being practiced before John the Baptist. In fact, there's pictures of baptism even in the Old Testament. In the temple, there was this bath-like structure called the labor. In Hebrew, it's called the mikvah. And the priest would have to go into the mikvah, strip, clothes, strip his clothes off, go into this pool of water to bathe or to be washed before he would conduct his priestly duties. And what it meant was he was ceremonially unclean. It wasn't the dirt on his body. It was the fact that he was a sinner. He was coming before a holy God. He needed to be cleansed. And so it was symbolic of a cleansing that was to take place. And even others who came to worship would come to the labor to be washed before they went to worship. When archaeologists discovered uh, one of the temples that had been built, they found 48 of these, these labors, these mikvahs. These are like little tubs that could hold at least 200 gallons of water because it had to, to be enough to submerse an adult in it and be totally covered with water because they were immersed in it. Even pagans who had become Jews, they weren't Jews by birth, but they were proselytes, 
They would be baptized as a start of a new way of life. In fact, the mikvah was considered the womb in which a pagan would come to be born anew to this new way of life. And so we have Jesus coming to John the Baptist to be baptized. But the question is, if, if the human heart is dark and sinful and needs to be cleansed, then why is Jesus being baptized in baptism of repentance? Because Jesus never sinned. In fact, John the Baptist recognizes it and says, hey, you don't need to be baptized. You need to baptize me. But Jesus says it is to fulfill all righteousness. In other words, it is the right thing to do in God's eyes. Why was it the right thing? Well, if you look toward the end of Jesus' life, when he's getting ready to go on a cross, what Jesus does when he goes to the cross is he becomes the epitome of sinful man. All of man's sins, all the curses of, of, of the wrongs that men have done are put on Jesus as he goes to the cross. He becomes a sin offering for man. And so here at the very beginning, in a sense, he's identifying with sinful man also by going through what sinful man does in himself being baptized. And there might even be a picture here of a priest is Jesus is going to be the priest that offers the final sacrifice of a priest going and being washed before he goes to do his priestly duties. When you read the book of Hebrews, for example, there's a lot in there about Jesus being the priest. And there's a passage in chapter 10 of Hebrews that says, When Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings, you were not pleased. Then I said, Here I am. It is written above me in the scroll, I have come to do your will, O God. Jesus came to offer himself in service to God. So Jesus, who was perfect, allowed himself to go through this baptism of repentance as an example. How much more should we as sinners follow in his footsteps? I mean, I, I've broken God's laws, and I've broken his commands, and... and I need to repent, but repentance isn't something we like to talk about. In fact, I never hear anyone through the week talk about repentance. I, hear, I never hear someone says, you know, I'm just a repentant believer. I hear people say things like this, I'm a spiritual person. And you know why we do that? In our culture, we're so saturated with propping up people's self-esteem, we don't want them to feel bad, that, that we mask the fact that people are rebellious, and people are sinful and evil and wicked. If you pastor, that doesn't sound good. It isn't. That's why, that's why we need Jesus. If we were already good, we wouldn't need Jesus. But we have to come clean with our sins. And so this, this means this repentance. When people came to John the Baptist, you know what I find so interesting is it says they came confessing their sins. Not that they were sinners. They came confessing their sins. Can you imagine if when people were getting baptized, we said, hey, tell us your sins. Tell, tell us. Well, you know, in Jesus' day, I think there were a lot of people who were prostitutes and tax collectors who said, I, I steal, I sleep around, I, I'm, a, I'm a bad person. That's why I need Jesus. But do you know who has the hardest time confessing their sins? The people who look good. The people who look upstanding. The people like you and me who go to church and give this facade that we're better than we really are. But deep within, there's, there's lust, and there's pride, and there's anger, and there's jealousy, and there's greed just stirring around. And we need to come clean with that. That's the whole point. You've got to recognize the sin in your life to let go of it. See, repentance means I'm going to let go of those things I used to find satisfaction in. I need to let go of those things that have bound me in addiction. I need to let go of those idols in my life that I thought were so critical. I'm going to let them go. I'm going to let go of the philosophy of this world to embrace this. 
Because our world has a lot of lies that feed you about success and happiness and, and sexuality and all these things. And we have to let go of that to say, I'm going to embrace what God has to say about life, about people, about happiness and success. I'm going to embrace that. That's the direction I'm going in. Repentance might make you feel guilty. might make you feel sad. But that's not, that's not re what repentance is at the core. Repentance may have feelings of sorrow, but ultimately it means I'm letting go of this to embrace this. I'm changing the direction of my life. I'm turning from and I'm turning to. And Jesus demonstrated that when he was baptized by John the Baptist. In Acts chapter 3, verse 19, it says this, this beautiful feeling that happens when you turn from your sins. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. There is a sense of being washed. Yesterday I was out mowing the lawn on a hot day. You know, the grass sticks to your sweaty skin and there's dust in the air. And it feels so good to go in a shower and just be cleansed. And it just, it's refreshing. Or to jump into a pool on a hot day, it's refreshing, right? He wants you to picture that feeling of refreshment. And the water of baptism symbolizes, there's no magic in the water, it just symbolizes what God does to the inside of the sinner. I wash you, I cleanse you, I refresh you. That's why those two are, are, are always together. Repentance and baptism are tied together. There's no magic in baptism. We don't, we don't believe in baptismal regeneration that somehow there's magic. It's just tap water over there. There's no magic water. But the magic is in the surrender to God. And what God does to the sinner who's offered himself to him. The water just reminds us, ah, I'm cleansed. I'm washed. And so in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, Peter continues the same kind of message when he says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit shows up at Jesus' baptism. It, it lights on him like a, a dove descending from the sky. So we have the Son giving us the example, but you also have the confidence that you receive the seal of the Holy Spirit. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit lived or would, would inhabit the temple. But there was a time coming when God says, I do not dwell in houses built by human hands. No man can build a temple that's fit enough for me. I will dwell in the house that I made. You know what house God made? The human body. So he comes to live, in, live inside of us. When he comes to live inside of us, when we surrender to Christ, we are sealed as his possession. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, says that having believed, you are marked in with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit. That word seal is an identification of ownership. In biblical times, uh, a landowner would put his seal on his property. That meant, that belongs to me. When God puts a seal on you with the Holy Spirit, saying that, that person belongs to me. They're my possession. And it also means that there is a deposit guaranteeing something greater down the road. Like, if you put a deposit on something, that means that there's a greater amount coming down the road. The Holy Spirit in us now is just a foretaste of the fullness of God's presence we will receive down the road. <laughs> Now, the Holy Spirit will comfort us, so it will encourage us, strengthen us, fill us with joy. But there's something else the Holy Spirit does. He makes us uncomfortable. The Holy Spirit leads us into places that, that are difficult. And I see that immediately with Jesus, because the very next verse, after Jesus came out of the water, the Holy Spirit landed on him, and God spoke, the very next verse says this. And then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. It's, it's almost as if God says, welcome, welcome aboard, and you're going to boot camp. And so he goes off into the desert for 40 days fasting. 
is being tempted by Satan. And you might wonder, how could a God who loves his son put him in such a position to be attacked by Satan? Again and again and again, but God knows something that you and I need to know. There is a battle for your soul. There is a battle over you. And as long as you're walking with the devil, even though you may not know it, the devil's pretty comfortable. And he goes on with you. But as soon as you turn your back on him and say no to him and go to God, now you've stirred up the enemy. Now he's after you. I can, I can tell you without a shadow of a doubt, putting God first in your life will make your life better. And I also will tell you this, putting God first in your life will make your life harder. Because you have a target on your back, you have an opponent, an adversary called the devil, who is seeking to, to lure you into temptation, to take you back to the things you left behind, <laughs> to, to discount the decision you made, to try to say what he has to offer you is better. The Holy Spirit will lead you, and the Holy Spirit will be with you, he will supply you, he will teach you, he will strengthen you as you walk with God. He is behind your spiritual progress. But it doesn't stop there. Because the Heavenly Father shows up and says, This is my Son whom I love. With Him I am well pleased. When you surrender to God's plan for your life, here's what else you find. The affirmation of the Father. You find a Father's affirmation. Jesus had not even performed a miracle yet. He had not even recruited a disciple yet. He hadn't even preached a sermon yet. And God says, I am so pleased with you. You're just getting started. God was pleased because he was fully surrendered to all that God had in store for him. This Father's affirmation is something we all long for. I, I think all of us, as we grow up, and whether we're kids or adults, we all love to hear our Father's affirmation. Um, N.T. Wright, a New Testament scholar, says that at every baptism, our Heavenly Father says, You are my dear, dear child. I am delighted with you. And maybe you're privileged to have a mother or father that spoke those kinds of words over you. That you were their dear child and they delighted in you. But many of us didn't. Many of us rarely heard those words. Or maybe never heard those words. And there's an aching in our soul to hear them. But I want you to know that there is a Heavenly Father who wants to speak those over you as you surrender to Him. Some of you might be like the boy that was discovered along a highway. There was a man driving in Louisiana saw something off the side of the road hanging from a tree, pulled off, went over there, found a teenage boy and hung himself. And when he searched for identification on the boy, all he found was a note to his parents that said, Dear Mom and Dad, I am sorry I was an embarrassment to you. You know, I think there's a lot of us who look at our own lives and, and we reach a place where you say, I screwed this up. I've messed it up. I've made loud decisions. I've dishonored God. I've been a hypocrite. And we look in the mirror and we want to withdraw and go in a cocoon and maybe kill ourselves. And yet you need to know this. You don't have to do that. You can just say, God, that's who I am. And God says, I know. I've always known. But that's not your identity. Your identity is found in my son. And you can come confidently to God and put all your garbage at his feet. And he says, I forgive you. Not only that, I call you my child. See, here's what John 1.12 says. It says, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become, guess what? Children of God. You're not defined by who you are, your achievements and your looks. You're defined by whose you are. I'm a child of God. I'm a, I'm a child of the most high God. In the book of Galatians, Paul says a very similar thing. That in Christ Jesus, you are, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ 
have clothed yourselves with Christ. And then the very next chapter, chapter 4, he says this. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. And that word Abba is such a sweet word. It's not a Swedish rock band. It's, a, it's the name, the Aramaic name for daddy. That the spirit within us cries out, Daddy, your heavenly father. What a privilege it is that we have, that we can call the God of this universe our heavenly daddy. And he says, you're my beloved child. But see, you have to surrender to him to wear that title. You have to surrender. You have to want to be a child, to be a child of God. See, some people don't want to be a child of God. And Jesus dated a group of people, the religious leaders, who didn't want to be children of God. And in Luke chapter 7, he describes them this way. It says the Pharisees, the experts in the law, rejected God's purpose for themselves because they had not been baptized by John. We're not going to get baptized. We're not going to repent of our sins. We're pretty good people. We don't need Jesus. You're missing out. You're missing out on God's purpose for your lives. Because God's purpose for every single person, I have no doubt about this, God's desire for every single person, the Bible says, is to believe in Jesus and to repent of their sins, receive Him as Savior and Lord of their life. God calls us into that kind of relationship. When we do, the Bible says, there is great rejoicing in the presence of the angels. You know who's in the presence of the angels? A lot of people say, well, the angels rejoice. I think the angels probably rejoice. But what the Bible says is there's rejoicing in the presence of the angels. God is in the presence of the angels, celebrating every lost son or daughter who comes back home. Now, some of you may be wondering today if, if God really cares about you, but he does. Think, I want to tell you that, that this passage tells us that God supports your spiritual progress. That there is a son who set an example of how to surrender before God. We have the Holy Spirit who shows us He will seal us and, and identify us as belonging to Him and God the Father speaks over us words that are so positive, so encouraging. And you may be thinking today, but Pastor, I've got all kinds of questions and excuses. You know, this is my first Sunday here at this church. That's okay. Baptism isn't about becoming a member of this church. We require it to be a member, but it just it's, a, it's an initial step of someone who's following the Lord. If that's where you are in your life, then this is a decision that we encourage you to take. Some of you, like me, might say, but Pastor, what if I was baptized before? I was baptized as a baby. Let me ask you this. Do you remember that? Did you believe and repent when you were? I know our parents wanted you to be dedicated to the Lord, wanted you to grow up and know the Lord. But like me, um, it didn't take for a while. It wasn't until I was in high school that I really understood for myself what it meant to trust Christ. But that came to a place where I surrendered my life to Jesus, and then I decided to surrender my life by being baptized in Christ. And so, really, it fulfills that parent's desire that one day you would embrace the faith they desire you to have. And we just say, Mom and Dad, I finally come to a place where this is mine. This is my decision. This is my choice. Do I need to learn more? I, 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 I don't know much about the Bible yet. You know what? When you, if you got married, you probably didn't know everything about marriage either, did you? You know a lot more about marriage now than you did way back then. But it did disqualify your marriage. It didn't discredit it. Same thing with Christ. All you need to know is the fact that Jesus died on the cross for your sins. And you're willing to live your life for Him. And if you have that desire, God will take it and He'll grow you. He'll develop you. You'll learn more along the way and that will make you confirm the decision that you make today. What if I don't have it together? You never will have it together. Stop trying to put it all together. That's why God came to put us back together. We're like Humpty Dumpty that fell off the wall. We're in a billion pieces. 
And you don't even know where to begin to put yourself back together. And God never tells you to put yourself together. He says, make the straight path for me. Open your heart wide to me. I will come in and come to the weather. I will put you back together. But if my family's not here, there's people I would love to be your pastor, and they're just not here today. That's okay. We're going to have cameras. We're going to take some pictures. If God's calling you today, it's not about your family. It's about your heavenly father. He's the one that you ultimately want to please. And so he's the one that you step forward to accept today. What if you've got fears? You know, you're afraid of coming in front of people. You're afraid of standing in front of people, getting into baptism. You're afraid of talking in front of people. I just want to assure you, you don't have anything to fear. The water's safe. It's warm. We're nice people. We're going to meet you. We're going to actually meet you down in front, walk you through that door over there. We're just going to write a few things down on a card, the information to help us follow up. We're going to give you a nice, clean T-shirt to put on that you can keep. Actually, it's about your baptism. It has a celebration scripture on the back of it. Get some shorts to wear. We have nice, fluffy towels that will dry you when you come out of the water. I mean, the only thing you'll have to say is this. You'll have to answer the question, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who died on a cross and was raised from the dead, and do you declare Him as the Savior and Lord of your life? That's it. It's, it's pretty easy. And some of you may think, well, Pastor, I think I'd rather do it another day when there's not as many people here. Why in the world would you want to do that? You want to celebrate with your family. You want people to cheer for you, to celebrate with you. Of course, you can be baptized any hour of any day. But this is like kind of like getting married. You want people to celebrate with you. You want the family to rejoice with you. And you know what? You don't have to be afraid of your family out here that you probably don't have to know by name, most of them. You look out and you're just going to see eyes of love, eyes of joy as they celebrate this moment with you. In fact, you know what? There's all kinds of excuses we could give and questions we could ask that would just delay it. But if anybody ever had an excuse to not be baptized, it was Jesus. And he didn't play the card. He said it's the right thing to do, to honor my Heavenly Father. And today's not a day for excuses. Today's a day for exclamations. And so we're going to start rejoicing right now as you turn your attention over to the baptistry as we watch these two get baptized right now. Thanks for listening to today's message. Be sure to join us again next time.